New Species, the podcast where we talk to scientists about their discoveries of organisms that are new to science, but not necessarily new to nature. We talk to the authors of these studies to get behind-the-scenes stories, to talk about why these discoveries should matter to everyone, not just scientists, and to help people better understand the wonderful biodiversity of our planet. If you'd like to support this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash new species podcast. Welcome to the New Species Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Patrick, and today I'm joined by Ale Reza Zamani, a PhD candidate at the Zoological Museum in the University of Turku in Finland. He's here today to talk to us about his recent paper in Zookeys, in which he and his co-author described 17 new species of ant spiders from Iran and Turkmenistan. Welcome, Ali Reza. Uh, hello, Brian. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. You and I first met... I believe it's now eight years ago in Taiwan yeah. at the International yeah. Congress. Yeah, yeah. And I think then you were just an undergraduate, right? Or 17 or 18 years yes, old. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Very young. And now you have more than 50 papers published and I, I don't know how many new 90, species. I guess. <laughs> wow. See, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Up and, up and coming scientists doing very, very well. Mm-hmm. And you're here today to talk to us about your recent paper in Zookeys. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about spiders in the in the family Zodariidae. Yeah. The ant spiders. Why are these called ant spiders? What are they? Well, uh, Zodariidae is a relatively large family of spiders. Uh, currently, there are about uh, one thousand two hundred species of them worldwide. They occur. They occur. Worldwide, but uh, their highest species diversity are in tropical and subtropical regions. Uh, they have enormous variations in size and shape and coloration, even number of eyes. Most of them have eight eyes, but some groups of them have six eyes. And most of them are brightly colored. And uh, the reason that they are called ant spiders is that, uh, well, with the exception of some of the more primitive uh, groups of ant spiders, which are uh, borrowers, uh, nocturnal and polyphagous, uh, meaning that they feed on a wide variety of prey items. Uh, most of them are diurnal and free-living free ground dwellers and have a specialized diet consisting of ants and termites. And uh, many of them live within or in close, close proximity to ant or termite colonies and they mimic their behavior and in a few cases, uh, their chemical traits. Uh, that's what I was going to ask you. So they do, mim- they do mimic some of the chemical traits right then. So they actually live among the ants and the ants don't detect them as spiders. Is that correct? Uh, well, in some species, yes. So they're kind some of species, in- yeah. intruders, yeah. And uh, generally mimic- mimicry is a, is a very interesting uh, topic in evolutionary biology. And zoodaries are a great model to, to study mimicry. Yeah. yeah, because if you see pictures of these, for the human eye, sometimes they can fool you and make you think that they look that they're ants. But some of these are not terribly ant-like, yeah. but they're still running around on the ground with the ants. Yes. So to the ants, they must smell like an ant, right? Yes. Well, um, uh, they they use different mechanisms to actually uh, have the particular. Uh, odor of the of the nest. Sometimes they rub it, rub themselves against the colony, or just a- acquire these odors just by feeding on ant larvae. 
And also they have uh, some of them, uh, especially like in the genus Zodarion, they have this uh, special structure, it's called a femoral organ, that uh, it's assumed that it produces that uh, specific chemical compound that is causing this chemical uh, similarity between the Yeah, those cuticular hydrocarbons, those are called the CHCs or what we call those in science. And they're these little chemical pheromone things that these things put off that say, hey, this is what I am, and they can mimic other species for it. Yeah, uh, very interesting system. Yeah. Uh, do we have any idea what these things do ecologically? You mentioned that they're predators often of ants and termites. Not always, but often. Mm-hmm. And uh, the ones that you, you studied there from Iran and Turkmenistan, do we yeah. have any idea what these do ecologically? Well, uh, the specimens that I used in my study were both collected by me and also uh, by other researchers, uh, especially European uh, researchers who collected material in Iran and Turkmenistan uh, back in mostly in seventies. Uh, for those species that I um, collected myself, I mostly collected them uh, within ant colonies. So basically, I was just running around in in mountains and just turning stones, and and it was so fascinating just to see like. Uh, you see like all of these ants, they're just like are running around. And then you see that some of them are moving differently. And uh, if you look close, uh, a bit closer, you realize that even though they're the same size, the same color, the same shape, uh, you can see that they are actually spiders. And uh, well, ecologically, ecologically speaking, uh, Zotaris are quite abundant, uh, ground dwelling spiders. And uh, well, like most spiders, uh, they play a crucial role in check, uh, having the insect con- uh, population in check. And uh, especially that they have a quite a specialized diet toward uh, ants, uh, often certain species of ants. So uh, they are kind of in charge of keeping some of those population kind of in charge. And uh, yeah. You, you happen to mention something there, doing field work looking for these things. Yeah. So tell me what it's like to go... I would love to go traipsing across the landscape of Iran with mm-hmm. you. It looks so beautiful yeah. in, in so many of the pictures that I see. Uh, but unfortunately, that's not very possible for mm-hmm. me as an American to walk yeah. in and start collecting spiders. So so paint mm-hmm. a picture for me. What is it like to do field work mm-hmm. looking for these Zodoreids? I know they come from a variety of habitats, actually, yeah. in Iran, right? Yeah. You got them from, from some very dry areas, some high-altitude yeah. areas all over. What... Tell us a little bit about how you catch these things. You mentioned just turning over rocks. Are there other methods? Yeah. What else do you do? <clears throat> well, uh, if I want to talk a bit about uh, uh, also like geography of Iran, most people think of Iran as uh, some sort of a flat plain, you know, just just desert. But uh, it's not like that. It's true that Iran is uh, typically mostly an arid and semi semi arid <clears throat> country, but uh, <clears throat> in northern areas. Uh, there are like regions that receive uh, between 800 to 2000 millimeter annual rainfall and uh, are the most humid part of the country. And uh, there are four main mountain regions in the country. Two of them are biodiversity hotspots. And of course, uh, we also have seven desert plains and depressions, including the Lutz Desert, which is the hottest desert on earth actually in Iran. And uh, the surface temperature has been um, measured up to 80 degrees Celsius, if I remember rightly. And I actually discovered new species there. And uh, so collecting, so 
and also uh, another point of uh, another point that I want to discuss is that Iran is very interesting from a zoogeographic point of view because it's a junction between three uh, zoogeographic realms the Palarctic, uh, the Oriental and Afrotropical. So it's kind of uh, you can find a, a mixture of species uh, elements from all three ele- uh, from all three realms in one country. So so just so people understand what you yeah. just said there, you're talking about the when you talk about Afrotropical, you're talking about things moving in from African yes. areas and African peninsula moving up there towards Saudi Arabia and, and Ethiopia and those places. Well, Saudi Arabia, not, but Ethiopia, et cetera. Paleoarctic moving in from Europe mm-hmm. and even Russia and those countries, Ukraine and those areas. And then from the, you, you mentioned the Oriental, Oriental one as well. That's coming in from places like India, Pakistan, and all of these places, right? So you got all of that crossroads right there. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So in short, uh, Iran is truly a gold mine for discovery of, of new species. And uh, collecting spiders is is uh, is really fun there because uh, often you find some things that uh, are really different uh, from the rest, rest of the species that you can find in the region. And uh, um, typically, when I go on field to collect spiders, uh, mostly I, I set traps, uh, pitfalls, and uh, but I really enjoy collecting by hand and just turning stones and just like finding something that's actually a live specimen that we're, that you can photograph and, and actually pick it up. And uh, like, uh, it's, it's really cool. It's really cool. And, and if you're lucky, you actually find something, a new species that you can uh, say it's a new species in the field because most of our discoveries uh, occur in, in the lab when we're just looking these minute structures on the specimens and they say, okay, it's a bit different so we can considered a new species, but sometimes you find something very different that you can say just in the field that this is a new discovery. And that is that is quite rare and, and quite fun. Tell us a little bit about some of your worst field experiences. We all have those experiences in the field where it's like, oh, this was just a, a bad day, mm-hmm. fell down a ravine, mm-hmm. bitten by a snake, anything like that. What, tell me, when you're out looking for these things, what's probably the worst experience you had? That's what people always like to know is like, okay, so what's it like to be a scientist? Day to day, you're out turning over rocks. Tell me about your bad day. Oh, I think, uh, hmm, let me think. And there was also another time which we <laughs> accidentally <laughs> walked into a minefield <laughs> looking for spiders. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you're standing in a minefield, yeah, yeah, but <laughs> collecting yeah, spiders. Was, Did you find a new species there? No, no, we had to leave it actually <laughs> quiet. <laughs> yeah, we were lucky. That's because every other story you've told is like I found a new species there. How about <laughs> yeah. the middle of the minefield? Did you find one no, there? No, we just we just had to leave it quickly. Luckily, some policemen just told us that yeah, this is a minefield. Just and they were like asking like, what are you doing? They were just we're looking for spiders <laughs> and. and uh, <laughs> We're like, man, it's a minefield. <laughs> and you're like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Where is it safe to walk? Yeah. I don't know. Get out of there. <laughs> but there is a new species like 50 meters away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I don't, I don't really yeah, consider so it. I've like never had anybody tell me that they walked to a minefield before. <laughs> I had somebody who said they had to dodge, you know, armed guerrilla fighters. And, yeah. 
<laughs> you know, uh, had some of their equipment stolen, things like that, but not a minefield. Yeah. That's a new one for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How did you, when, when, once you got these, and you even mentioned when you're in the field, how do you know that these are new species while you're standing in, let's start within the field. Like you just yeah. pick it up and you're like, oh, that is new. Yeah. How do you know? Well, it depends on the group. Sometimes if the group is not uh, considered well studied in the region, uh, we can be quite certain if we find something like that is quite distant from other known species, at least in the region, we could be a bit certain that it also depends on the group. If uh, if we are talking about the group of spiders that don't have, are not the best disper, uh, they don't that don't have the best uh, dispersal abilities, uh, we could consider them that, as potential new species in the field. But uh, sometimes you just find something that is so different in morphology. You know, like, just like habitus. You know, uh, for example, like a few years ago, I found this. Uh, um, new species of Philistati, they, uh, they are called commonly, commonly called Crevice beavers. So they are generally black, brown spiders. And I found this one, which was blue colored. So that one was quite a surprise. And we knew in the field that it was a new species and we named it accord accordingly, Sastata ametistina, which means the blue ametistin uh, Philistati. So, uh, yeah. And so what do you do when you get back to the so, – so not all of these you can find in the field and say this is new. No, no. no. Most of the time you mentioned you have to come back and spend yeah. a lot of time in the lab looking at these things under a, a, a scope, like a dissecting scope or a microscope. Yeah, yeah. What are you looking for to decide that these are new species? Well, in spiders, uh, generally the, the most important characters are the copulatory organs because uh, <clears throat> there is this um, – if, if I want to simplify it – each, each species is thought to have a unique uh, conformation of copulatory organs, which would... Yeah, so we're talking about the sex organs here when we yeah. say copulatory. We're talking the, the, in the male, it's the palpus, and the female, we call it the epigenum. Yeah. And the male palpus is, is, can be quite complex or simple, but they generally have their own unique shape for each species, and same thing with the female. So those are our copulatory organs. Go ahead. Yes. So the general idea is that this uniqueness in, in copulatory organs... Uh, doesn't allow different species to mate with each other, <clears throat> if I want to, like, say, like, in a simple way. So those are uh, the species-specific morphological characters that uh, we study in great details. So, for example, in our paper, uh, we studied them using uh, regular stereo microscopes and also uh, scanning electron microscope to see, like, more details and can compare them with each other. Uh, but we also uh, study other morphological aspects. For example, in this uh, particular paper, uh, we studied this. Um, there is this structure on the male pulp, on the distal most uh, segment of the male pulp. Uh, it's called the dorsal symbiol group uh, or dorsal symbiol pit. Uh, so basically, it's a structure on the dorsal area of, of this segment. And... Uh, it is. It enabled us to uh, put some of our species into the into the right genus, uh, Acanthinozoidium, which uh, the character the character of which is uh, having this dorsal symbiote pit. And it's really interesting because the function of this uh, of this structure is not really known, but uh, it is assumed uh, to produce a sticky substance that the spider uses to kind of uh, block 
the um, or seal the entrance of the genitalia of the female after the copulation so that uh, so why would it do that why why would it want to seal up the so you're saying that after it breeds then it would actually seal yes. the uh, the female's genitalia closed yes. with what we call a copulatory plug, right? Yes. Just, so, so why would it do that? Well, uh, the idea is uh, to kind of impede some subsequent matings uh, or also prevent the backflow of sperm. Uh, so some spiders, so these are called mating plugs, and uh, there are no, uh, many, many spiders actually do it. But uh, in some species, they actually the spider actually breaks part of its copulatory structures in inside the genitalia of the female, uh, and the re the result is that the male spider cannot mate again. But uh, in some groups, like these zodarids, uh, they use these uh, chemical secretions that uh, just seal the the copulatory openings of the female, and the the male remains uh, polygamous and and can mate again afterwards. Right. So just to put that in perspective for people, it's, it's, they basically break off their sex organs inside yes. the other one, or in this case, they, they put down a, a substance kind of like a glue that yes. will, that will harden and, and then nobody else can mate. You, you literally plug the copulatory. Yes. And, and because I know somebody out there is asking like, well, then how do they give birth to eggs? How do they lay eggs? They don't come from there. Yeah. The eggs come out in a different place, just so people are aware. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You're just stopping the place where you do the insemination, but not the place where yeah. the eggs yeah. Yeah. where the eggs come out. Yeah. Yeah. The names that you have of all of these species, you you have 17 new species. You you actually I think go through all of the species that are found in this family, Zodariidae, the ant spiders, in Iran. But you yeah. have 17 new ones. Uh, I'm going to ask you about a couple of these, but we're we're going to talk. Let's first talk about the the first one here, Pax elipida. Yeah. Uh, Elipida was an unusual, um, it stood out to me as I was looking through it, an unusual specific epithet. It's Persian, which a lot of these are, and we'll talk about that momentarily. Tell me a little, about, a little bit about Elipida. What is special about Elipida? Uh, well, Elipida is, uh, we named this species after an ancient kingdom that uh, used to rule in that particular region uh, called Elipi. And uh, because this spider was collected in Western Iran, and that uh, ancient kingdom was also in that region. They, they ruled, I think, uh, between uh, 9th and 6th centuries B uh, BC. And uh, yeah, yeah, I thought, I thought it would be a cool name because they're from the same region. And it also gives a little story about, about ancient kingdoms in Iran. It was one of the two species that in this paper that we named after ancient kingdoms. The other one was Trigetus uh, Socianus. It's also from... Uh, uh, it's named after another ancient kingdom, ancient city. So a little nod to the to the history of the Persian region yeah. there, right? Yeah, getting yeah. into some of the kingdoms, and you even have one uh, that we ha I don't have written down here, but it was named after one of the princesses. Yeah, I think, or a princess, the only daughter of of one of yeah, them. Yeah, it was a Continozodium uh, Parmida. There it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, nods to the history of the region, which maybe a lot of people don't know, uh, but that is a very very rich. Mm -hmm. Area for history is the with a part of what we call the Fertile Crescent, the Cradle of Life mm -hmm. area. There for for a lot of society as we know it today. The other one that I was interested in was Acanthinozodium sorani. Tell us a little bit about that particular name, sorani. Uh, sorani, oh yeah, it's uh, named after uh, a dialect or uh, 
a language of, uh, of the family of Kurdish languages because the spider was collected in, in Kurdistan and in uh, East Azerbaijan province of Iran where this uh, language generally in that region is spoken and I, and I assume that it also can be found in Iraq, in Eastern Iraq where the language is spoken. So I usually choose the names uh, based on some <clears throat> characteristics of the region. Uh, if if I cannot name them after, if it's hard to name them after their morphological characteristics, I prefer naming them after some feature from the region that they are found. Uh, so for that particular species, I I decided to name them after this dialect or this language that is spoken in that region. Right, and then you have a couple patronyms in there too, including a nod to one of your your colleagues. Yeah. And and again, others that are that are related to areas, but a lot of these are in Persian. So that's your that's your native language, right? Obviously, yes. you were originally from Iran. Uh, why did you decide to do so many of these in Persian? It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. I just tell us tell us a little why you, you decided to get to to naming things uh, in the Persian language. Mm -hmm. uh, well, uh, my my PhD project is systematics, biogeography, and conservation of Iranian spiders. So spiders of Iran have not been really studied thoroughly. So I dis I describe basically a lot of new species and uh, which I particularly enjoy myself. But uh, when you're describing a lot of new species from a very uh, particular region, uh, after a while you kind of run out of original names. <laughs> and uh, for me personally, it's really important uh, to give unique names uh, and not use trivial names for my species. And for this one, I was basically running out of names. And uh, then I remembered uh, something that I used to say in my classes, uh, where whenever I was teaching about arachnology or taxonomy in general, uh, that I used to say that choosing names for your new species is like choosing names for your children. And then I realized, hey, I can, why? Why don't I do that? You know, why don't I consider them as my own <laughs> children and give them Persian given names? And <laughs> so, so your father spider. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so and and the result was actually quite quite nice because these Persian names they actually kind of uh, fit well uh, for a scientific name. And uh, several of my colleagues actually praised this idea, and uh, I think it turned out well. Yeah, they're very interesting names. I, I, I enjoyed reading through them and, and getting an idea of the language. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's so, as an American, it's so foreign mm -hmm. to me to to hear those Middle Eastern uh, languages. We just don't, we don't hear mm -hmm. or see them mm -hmm. very often. So yeah, it was, it was, it was really interesting and fascinating. Mm -hmm. What was your favorite of the group? You said these were like naming your children. So who's your favorite child? Oh, I think my favorite. Out of these 17 that we're talking about. I think my the, my favorite name that uh, I chose for this paper, uh, paper was I think Pax Leila. I think uh, Leila is a Persian feminine name meaning uh, the daughter of the night, and uh, I think it kind of has a nice tune to it. <laughs> yeah. And so, why did you call it? You said it's daughter of the night. Is this a, a nocturnal spider, or is this just a pretty name? Yes, yes. These are these are actually that that uh, Pax species are th uh, are assumed to be nocturnal. Zodarids. So yeah, and for this yeah, paper, I, I only used used the uh, feminine names because they mostly end uh, in like Dorsa, Diara. Uh, they mostly end in A, uh, so they make kind of nice scientific names, you know, in in terms of pronunciation. 
Yeah, and for people who don't know, when we do these things, we have to Latinize the mm-hmm. names, which names that normally normally end in something like A, I, mm-hmm. or or some similar sound. And if you have words in your language that naturally end that way, you don't have to modify them at all. Yes, perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> the last part I always like to ask people, and I think it's an actually an important question, particularly for these particular ones. Why is it important that people know about these spiders? Uh, well, um, there are several reasons. One that can probably be applied to all organisms is that uh, we are currently facing the biggest biodiversity loss ever recorded in Earth's history. And uh, every year, thousands of species are just being wiped out of existence. So we need to save them. But uh, in order to save them, first we need to know them and we need to document them and name them. So. Uh, there are species as valid as we are, and that's the primary reason why they should exist and uh, for that we need to know them first. Uh, another reason is that, as I said, they are quite abundant ground-level predators and they play an important role in the ecosystem. Generally, spiders, they consume something between 400 to 800 million tons of in- uh, prey items annually, mostly, which are insects. So. Without spiders, probably uh, we cannot uh, live anymore, <laughs> probably. And uh, zoodarids in particular, they are also a promising group for studying mimicry and evolution through natural selection. And uh, if you want to also like uh, look at it from another point of view, that what's in it for us, uh, we know that almost all spiders are venomous. And uh, it is assumed that um, each species of spider has a unique chemical compound in its venom that's unique to that species, which means uh, there is an kind of an endless uh, potential for drug discovery in spiders. And this is actually true in case of zodarids because the, there is a rather recently uh, antimicrobial peptide. Uh, discovered in the venom of, of one species of uh, zodarids from Central Asia, uh, Lakasana tarabaevi, but and it's called Latarsin, but uh, it is assumed to be present in all Lakasana species. There's only 10 of them known now to described in our paper. And uh, this Latarsin uh, shows a broader spectrum antibacterial activity and cytotoxicity against human erythroleukemia. So you have an anti-cancer peptide thanks to spiders. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. And, and I think to, to go even further with that, uh, the spiders of your region, I, I think, let's go back, say, 15 or 20 years, the number of spiders known from Iran was actually quite a bit smaller than it is now. You've, you and others mm-hmm. have really expanded that knowledge. Give us an idea of just how many different species have been added to kind of like mm-hmm. the list of spiders known from that region. Uh, well, uh, the first checklist on Iranian spiders was published in uh, 2001, and it listed uh, 141 species. Now we are close to 900, <laughs> which is which is quite quite nice. And uh, I started my my study and uh, my studies on Iranian spiders back in 2013, and back then we had about 400 species of spiders known from Iran. So about 500 have been added. During this, this yeah, period. you've probably added a significant chunk of those, right? I know yeah, you, yeah. Sepide, and a few of the others have done quite a few. Se- se- I'm sorry, I referred to another Iranian scientist mm-hmm. there, but 
there's a handful of you there who have really expanded that list a lot. Well, there is a lot to discover, and uh, I'm pretty sure that I'm not even sure that uh, we are even halfway there to discover the the true number of Iranian spiders. So there's a so lot there's of lots of work to... left to do, yes, right? Yes, definitely. Well, I don't want to keep you from that work. I appreciate <laughs> that you took the time to come here and talk with me. Uh, it's always a pleasure. It's been a very long time since you and I have had a chance yes. to talk in person, and I and I do miss you. I look forward to yeah, hopefully yeah, seeing you. Uh, at a, again in the future. Yeah, hopefully in the next so, Congress. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, which I guess now has been moved to 23. Maybe yeah, we'll see each yeah. other in 2023 in Uruguay. Yeah, hopefully. So, Ale Reza, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, and you have a great day and good luck finishing up your studies with your PhD. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Uh, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> Once again, Ale Reza Zumani's paper is in the April 27 issue of Zookeys. The title of the paper is Revision of the Spider Family Zodariidae in Iran and Turkmenistan with 17 New Species. See the episode details for a link to his paper. To learn more about Ali Reza, follow him on Twitter, at Persian Spiders. To follow him on Instagram and for a link to his website, see the episode notes. Be sure to follow New Species on Twitter, at Podcast Species. And like the podcast on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash new species podcast. And if you'd like to support this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash new species podcast. <laughs>